Hello, this is Dennis Thomas from Things That Matter, where we speak about everything from faith to finance and all things in between. So I wanted to jump right in and speak about a book that I read recently by Scott Adams called Win Bigly. Now, for those of you guys who don't know who Scott Adams is, he did the Dilbert Comics, very popular comic strip. Uh, I've read a lot of his items here in the book. They're kind of funny, too. And uh, I like his personality and his sense of humor. But he had a blog for a long period of time when the political election was going on. Oddly enough, he didn't vote for anyone in particular. So he wasn't necessarily a Hillary fan or a Donald Trump fan, but he did a blog that really supported Donald Trump because there were things that he did that he considered to be of master persuasion. Now, Scott Adams himself was a hypnotist. Uh, he practiced and was skilled in the art of hypnosis. He also is considers himself to be a, not a master persuader, but someone that is high up there. I mean, he considers Donald Trump to be a master persuader or a Steve Jobs, just a very rare and unique person in the world that's able to use these skills of persuasion to get people to buy into their ideas. And the interesting thing about this book, now, I didn't vote for Donald Trump per se. There were things about him that I didn't really like, and they were more character flaws. You know, one of the articles that I read uh, in the Washington Post was the 170 times that Trump called someone loser. I mean, it's things like that that, that stick out to me that I'm just thinking like, oh, I would cringe. And there were certain characteristics that he had that I, I could appreciate. I felt that he was a little bit egotistic, but at the same time, I think that having that type of confidence is rare and it, there's a part of it that still is interesting to look at and see. I thought that he was quick on his feet. He had nicknames for everybody that was up on the stage. Lion Ted and Crooked Hillary, uh, Little little Marco. I mean, they were just kind of these clever, funny lines that he would have. I mean, I remember when he was on stage with Marco Rubio, Marco Rubio was trying to attack Donald Trump really hard. And he he was stuttering, though, and, and it seemed like he was nervous. And Trump says, you know, you're, you're sweating. Would you swim here? So he just made these funny comments. And he actually made me want to check in and watch the debate. I mean, the Democratic debate wasn't as interesting as the Republican debate because you had a lot of people on stage and you're just waiting to see what's going to happen because you felt like he was going to do something that was kind of uh, TV worthy and was probably going to make you laugh. And it really did. So I gave him credit for that because I felt like he had this humor and charisma about him. But there was a side of him that I just looked at and said, I don't know, I can't, I can't do this. But the reason I picked up this book was I did think that he had these persuasion skills. He knew how to sell things. I felt like the lines that he had, Make America Great Again, uh, the nicknames that he would give people, these this simple concepts that he had, Build the Wall, they seemed like things to me that you could catch on to. You know, sometimes when things are a little bit too difficult, it kind of blows past people, but when it's something that's simple, that you could recite to someone else, 
it becomes a little bit easier to hold on to. So I think that a lot of the tactics that he used and even the way he used social media, I think that he kind of was able to take advantage of an opportunity here and with all of his confidence to say, I'm going to win it. But not only that, it was like he was going to mop the floor with everyone and then he actually does win. You're looking at this like, I can't believe that just happened. But now you're wondering, and especially after I read this book, was it the skill set that he had that allowed him to win or was it luck? And the more I read the book and the more I understand, I'm thinking this wasn't luck. This was more of a skill set. Now, it doesn't mean that now all of a sudden I'm in love with the guy and I'm ready to uh, give him the uh, vote of approval. It's just to say that I can respect somebody's skill level and the things that they do to try to win and be successful in this situation. So the title of the book is Win Bigly, but beneath that, the title, they have uh, Persuasion in a World with Facts Don't Matter. And one of the concepts that Scott Adams brings up often in the book is cognitive dissonance. And basically what that is saying is that most of the decisions that we make, 90% of them are going to be rational, and 10% of them will be a little bit crazy. But people that are massive persuaders or have this persuasion filter high, they look at things opposite. They think that people, 90% of the time, are going to be a little bit crazy and make irrational decisions, and 10% of the time make rational decisions. Now, if we think about cognitive dissonance, it's basically when a person's self-image doesn't fit their observations. So let's say, for example, you think that you're smart and well-informed, but then you do something that's clearly dumb. In that scenario, you now are faced with, okay, my self-image says that I'm smart, but I just did something dumb. So in order to get around that, you try to make up an excuse or a reason as to why you did that dumb thing that you did. And so throughout the book, he speaks about this a lot. And it's funny when you think about persuasion in a world where facts don't matter. The thing that bothered me a little bit about some of the tactics that Donald Trump used were that I felt like he wasn't sticking to facts too much. A lot of things were so, they were simple, but it was a good thing that worked out for him, right? That they were simple. Let's say build a wall, for example. He didn't give any facts about building the wall. He just said, build a wall. And so I used to have debates with my buddy, which was great for us to talk to because we had different viewpoints on everything, but it required me to understand his point of view and vice versa. And we would speak about that. And I would speak about how simple is that? Build a wall. I mean, how does building a wall solve this issue that we have of people coming into the country? I mean, that seems like such a simple idea. Like if you were brainstorming, maybe that's the first thing that you come to. But then as you go on, you might think of uh, these bigger ideas. So I would, we would go back and forth about this idea of building a wall. But I think that in this scenario, Trump was able to use something simple and maybe he understood that we live in a world where facts don't matter. Because if people are making, if 90% of their decisions are irrational, which means that I would fall in that category too, right? 90% of the decisions I'm making are irrational and 10% of them are rational, then the facts really do not matter in this situation. And I think if, let's just say that Donald Trump knew that going into this, as I'm reading the book, I'm thinking, Wow. If, in fact, he did know that, and I'm not saying I agree with 
each one of the tactics that he used. But I have to respect that strategy that was being used because that was that throws me for a loop. I didn't I didn't expect that. Again, when I was looking at him, I wasn't looking at him as being someone that understood the nuances of the political system and everything that comes with it. I mean, a lot of us probably do not know that. You would look to people that are experienced to know those things because they've been around it for a period of time. So you're wondering, how would this person be able to overcome that when they're debating against a Ted Cruz, a Marco Rubio, a Jeb Bush? But if we're living in a world where facts don't matter, then this is a different game that's being played here. So I just wanted to go over a few things that I heard in this book that I thought were, wow, this is pretty crazy. So CNN anchor Chris Cuomo does an interview with Donald Trump, and he's trying to get Donald Trump's reaction to the Pope's criticism of capitalism. Now, this would be considered a trap, right? The question was posed in a way that either he could agree with the Pope to say, yeah, capitalism isn't good, or he could disagree with the Pope and just come across as plain wrong or weird, right? He comes to the fork in the road, which direction he's going to go, left or right? Now for Donald Trump, he goes straight. Trump responds that he would tell the Pope that ISIS is coming to get him, and that they have plans to take over the Vatican. Now, you think about the answer that he gave. In the book, he says, do we even remember the question anymore? He has a skill set to pose things in a certain way that I think the majority of people aren't ready and prepared to answer things that way. Because if you do come to a fork in the road, you're going to either go left or right. He goes straight. Rosie O'Donnell moment. So Megyn Kelly, at his first debate, she is telling him that you, you, you're disrespectful to women, you call them slobs, you call them fat, you have all these names for women. What do you say to that? Now again, he could either say, I said that and I apologize, or he could deny that he said that at all. So as a politician, they're usually going to go one or two ways. Again, he comes to a fork in the road, where does he go straight? He says, I was only speaking about Rosie O'Donnell. He knows how to present this information, this answer in a way that makes people think about Rosie O'Donnell. And he knows that the people that are on his side, his supporters, they don't like Rosie O'Donnell anyway. So if he's calling her fat, he's calling her a slob, he's using all these negative words for her, it works for him. Because now people are thinking about Rosie O'Donnell and they're thinking about those comments that he made, not thinking about every other woman out there. Now again, these tactics don't work for everybody. Because you have people, like myself, I didn't actually vote for him because things like that still bother me. I didn't kind of, you know, cut through the smoke and, and say, oh yeah, I think that he's using a persuasion or persuasive tactic here. I didn't buy into it. But as you start to read this book, it, it made me think a little bit deeper about some of his tactics. Because I think for him, it's just about winning. It's not about some of the things that, that I would have on the top of my list for what I'm trying to accomplish in this situation. And I think if that was his goal, obviously he accomplished that goal. And I think that's the part where, again, I don't like some of the tactics that were uh, used, but I have to, to be honest, respect some of the tactics because I'm looking at it thinking like, 
okay, if the person knew that this is what they were going to do ahead of time, they did it, and they get to the results they wanted to get to, I mean, I had to be objective there and say, okay, they followed a tactic and a strategy that actually worked. And I think that's something that uh, I have to, you know, in a way applaud. Now, we think about, too, some of the criticism against him. He got criticized left and right all the time. I mean, sometimes he would get criticized for things that I felt he put himself in. You know, when he attacks Kaiser Khan, uh, the the father of, of the uh, slain uh, war officer, uh, he, he attacks uh, the judge, the Mexican judge, to say that he couldn't judge a case fairly because he's Mexican. So some of the things he would say, I'm thinking, my gosh, like he gets attacked every two seconds. In the book, it says instead of one arrow shooting at you, so instead of one arrow shooting at you that could potentially cause damage, he wanted a thousand so that he could lay on them like a bed of nails. When I read that, I'm thinking, wow, this is another thing, again, that kind of blows me away because when you think about it, some of the criticism that he had was totally warranted, right? I mean, things that he would do to me, what were you expecting? You know, when you're you're criticizing uh, John McCain for being captured, I'm thinking, who would do that? But he had so much criticism coming his way because if one arrow came at him, right, that thing could pierce him right in the heart. But if he had multiple arrows that he could actually lay on like a bed of nails, that changes everything. Now you have criticism coming at every point that you don't even have enough time and energy to keep up with each one because as soon as one criticism comes, another one's coming right behind it. Now, one of the chapters in the book, they ask whether or not Donald Trump was a natural persuader. And I thought about that, too. Okay, so you could tell that there's some skill level being used here. Uh, you know, we, we know that he brands himself as a business person. You always see him in a suit. He's been doing this for a long period of time. So there's a strategy that's being used here where you're, okay, thinking, yeah, you do see him as a business person. He is not the the, the best at one thing, but he's better than average at a lot of things. Uh, you know, so publicly he attracts attention. He understands the value of publicity, uh, reputation as a businessman, as a winner. I mean, you really did look at him as that. I mean, you could be in denial and say, no, 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 I, I didn't like that. But he did come across as a winner. He said it multiple times. I mean, probably a million times, which is one of the reasons why I thought, oh man, I mean, can you say it enough times? But it worked, right? strategy, social media. I mean, the the guy used social media better than anyone else. I mean, prior to that, I felt like Barack Obama was able to use social media on a level that was never seen before. And you have people that do this from time to time, even JFK uh, being seen on, on television. You know, they were able to see his, his face. And so when, when some of these media uh, realms and platforms change, people are able to take advantage of it. The Internet becoming big, Barack Obama you know, being elected, he was able to use that as his platform. Now, Donald Trump kind of took it to another level and was able to use that. He's quick on his feet. I mean, the Rosie O'Donnell moment. Did I like that, that you know, those words that he was using towards women? Of course not. Was he quick on his feet in that situation? Yes, because he didn't go through that standard area that everyone else would have gone through where it's either I said it, and I apologize, or no, I didn't say it. I mean, he kind of just faces these things head on. It's, it's kind of crazy. Uh, the other thing, too, that I wanted to touch on was just some of the 
tactics that he uses with negotiating. Now, he always touts himself as being one of the best negotiators, the strongest negotiators. I mean, he, he wrote a book about negotiating. But if you think about some of the things that he used now, when we heard his immigration plan, you kind of thought that it, it seemed a little mean, like, was he going to really gather up the millions of people that were, were here illegally and, and bring them back? Was it even practical? You know, people were saying that it was immoral. But when you think about like some of the tactics that he would speak about at that point, his position gave him plenty of room to negotiate back to something more reasonable after he was in office. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing right now. He starts off high with something that to me is totally ridiculous, but then settles for something lower. And I think that's his negotiating tactic. I mean, before he's speaking about mass deportation, now it's more, okay, undocumented immigrants who committed serious crimes after entering. Those are the people that are going to go back. So I think he starts off with this really aggressive tactic and then goes down to something that's a little bit more reasonable. Uh, you could tell that, you know, in certain situations with his policies, he didn't have like a detailed understanding of, of the more complicated issues. But I think he understands that people don't use facts and reasons to make decisions. And a skilled persuader can blatantly ignore facts and policy details so long as the persuasion is skillful. And I kind of think that's how he did it. Even if you look at build a wall, it was a simple statement. But really what I think it does as far as this persuasion skill is it makes you look at the wall. You don't have to, you're, you're picturing a wall, right? But, but your picture of the wall is going to be different than my picture of the wall. So that means we all have our own picture of the wall. He's not telling you specifically what that wall is going to look like, which if you're thinking about persuasion, isn't that the best route to go where we all have our own dream of something? Again, I didn't believe in that tactics so, uh, per se, like that, that to build a wall, but I could, I could respect that style because to me, that's a skill right there. I, I just think people sometimes, uh, we, we are so blinded with, with, with things that we don't like about someone that we can't at least acknowledge certain things that they might do right. And, and I'm here to acknowledge that, which is kind of interesting that I'm at this point, but hey, I feel better about myself. Win Bigley, Scott Adams, I recommend people pick this book up. It's a great book. I think it'll change your thought on the Trumpster. So I'll see you guys later.